they should partner with Doritos and they should launch each new chip. This one's the cool ranch. <laughs> this one's the habanero. Welcome to REPOV, a show in which we record the conversations we're already having amongst ourselves, our entrepreneurs and industry leaders for you to listen in on. These are kind of hilarious to start because <laughs> we don't have a planned intro, but Raju went to CES. That's the intro. Yeah, I did. This is my, I don't know. I've, I've been many years in a row and you went with me one time. You know, what's funny, Jason, when I got to CES, one of the first thing that happened and popped up on my Google photos and my Apple photos was a memory of you and I going to CES. Sweet. And your hair was totally different at the time. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it was funny. It was like dramatically different. Now that your hair is white, before your hair was dark black and matted down. Oh, yeah. It was like literally slicked down versus like the, yeah. you know, depth of hair that you have now. It's like... <laughs> I got to get it re-dyed. That's the, that's the key. Yeah. I'm going to be like half and half pretty soon. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think... You know, that was also my first time to CES. It's an important conference. There was, I think this time, more so than ever, I've been, or I shouldn't say ever, it was really like the 2011 era, right? iPhone was definitely a thing. We were like four years in. They were actually getting good. Cameras were there. They finally launched copy and paste. App stores bump in. And people are like downloading apps and there were all sorts of new phones and stuff like Mobile World Congress was was like this huge thing. I mean, it's still huge. All these conferences like are still absolutely massive. But there was a kind of a period of time, you know, in the kind of late aughts, early tens that there was just a general excitement about like gadgetry and like consumer electronics. And I feel like we're back there. Like I've, I haven't bought as much new gadgets and downloaded new apps as I have since like this, this past year, basically. And frankly, today with the launch of the Apple Fitted Pro, but it's just such a fun time. And I'm, you know, really curious to like hear your thoughts and like main themes that you saw at CES this year. I think there's like five big themes that I saw and I'll just highlight the five up front, and then we can go into sort of each one and kind of what the weird peculiar, you know, gadgets that we saw, that I saw, and then ultimately kind of what the implications are for our industry and the world. The first was, you know, and, and this is always big at CES, there was the next wave of televisions, really slick and, and some value there, but not infant value, which I'll talk about. Then the second was, I guess they're calling it XR now to cover augmented, mixed and virtual reality, a bunch of products, capabilities in that space. The third was electric and autonomous vehicles. And I think the big difference from years past is there was some innovation around consumer-oriented vehicles, but the big innovation was really around things were used for business purposes, whether it's construction or crop harvesting, things like that, which, and I know we just did a podcast with ClearPath Robotics, which we sold to Brockwell, but things like that are beginning to take off. The fourth category, which, you know, probably not as innovative as years past was health products. Um, and the last was sort of productivity gadgets, which, you know, we're all geeks on this podcast. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be Inspector Gadget pretty soon. Oh, man, it was so you know? cool. <laughs> I'm going to have like a little rabbit R1 up my sleeve. 
Yeah. You know, I'm like talking into my sleeve like I'm James Bond or something. You know what um, it reminded? I mean, not to jump yeah. in, but you remember the Tamagotchis? Well, you're talking about the Rabbit R1 for the benefit of the listeners. Yeah, yeah. the Rabbit R1. It, it just had this feel of a Tamagotchi for, for like adults. It was so yeah, cool. Yeah, it was like those... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's designed by Teen Engineering, which you know, aside from Apple, they they they're pretty much on the same level of like quality and of design and materials and fit and finish. Um, but they're far lesser known. They 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 were, became famous for like the OP one. They make a bunch of other stuff. Actually, the mic that I'm using right now is from Teen Engineering. But yeah, they they do such a great design and very minimalist and thoughtful of like what does this gadget actually need. But it totally does remind me of there was this. I was a Sega guy and we had the original Sega Genesis and then eventually there was the Dreamcast and I had to make a big decision and I eventually regretted it because Pokemon never launched on the Dreamcast. But I had a Sega Dreamcast and their thing was like, in a they had, you could hold a controller, it looked kind of like an Xbox controller, but they had a little slot in the middle. And the idea was that you were going to put a memory card where you could save all the games and stuff oh, into the memory card. I had one too. Carry it around with you. Even I remember that. But then yeah. it would also had a little screen on it, so you could have like little characters that would like live in this little memory slot, which at the time was super cool. But you couldn't really do much with it. <laughs> Jason, you know, it was I, I've moved a few times. I'm an old yeah. guy. Yeah, I move. I, I I threw away a bunch of stuff. The one thing I didn't throw away is my old video game systems which included the sega genesis and the handheld and echo the dolphin and sonic the hedgehog oh echo the dolphin wow what a (laughs) throwback that was the sega what was the handheld device called i think it was gamecast no it wasn't gamecast uh i don't remember frankly but i had not only did i have that but i have final fantasy i wasted a colossal amount of time on Final Fantasy on Sega Genesis. Is entertainment wastes of time, though, you know? Yeah. Like, there's a reason why we have the NBA, and it's, like, not bad that Snapchat is a valuable company. You you know, entertainment's entertainment, man. Yeah, I didn't waste time, I guess. I did finish it. And at the time, finishing it was an astronomical feat. Because <laughs> you had to, you know, just, like, grind through many many different you know sort of arcs of the of the uh of the game plot but i loved it anyway (laughs) so raju i'd love to flip back through some of those themes and just hear more about what you saw on the ground i mean starting with with the the next thing in smart tvs i you know there aren't a lot of places necessarily for our companies to play in that world i'm curious though if you're seeing any progress towards more open architectures, better improvements on integration, usability. I mean, we're all still living, we're living with better and better uh, imaging, image quality, but uh, interface challenges uh, and connectivity continue to be really challenging in the TV space. Yeah, I don't think I saw as much open architecture in the TV space. And I think, you know, we've kind of, I don't think we've hit a resolution cap, but we're nearing it, right? Just like how much more, you know, sort of real does an image need to look like? And can they record enough footage in that space? 8K, you know, 16K, whatever you want to call it. The, the real innovation in the space was these, they evolved from last year. They had like these rollable TVs and now they have foldable TVs. And then now they have transparent televisions where, you know, sort of the circuitry 
you know, you can kind of see through. And then when you want to turn it on as a, as a real TV, it, it shows you, you know, the various things. And I, the question I always ask myself is like, what's the value? And the rollable TVs, I actually can see value in them. Yeah, it's space. I mean, that's why the frame TV from Samsung is so popular. People just want to have like a black rectangle in their like <laughs> in their living space the entire time. Like they'd rather just have it roll up into their exactly you know credenza, obviously. Well, and there's plenty of you know sort of apartments where wall space and real estate is you know sort of precious. And so if you could take this rollable TV, the transparent television kind of got me for a little while. And then, you know, I was talking to some folks and they said, you know, there's plenty of pockets and rooms where you have two rooms and you've got sort of like a space in between the two rooms. And it looks like a pane of glass. I mean, literally, I'm telling you, it was psychotically cool to see this because you're looking at a pane of glass that you can see people on the other side very clearly and then all of a sudden, you know, footage starts rolling in and it's a TV. That's such a hyper-specific market though. Like I, I just see that as like, that's like for giant displays or stadiums or, I mean, it's all like enterprise stuff. You know, it, it does kind of remind me of like in the 1960s, the home appliance advertisements and all of the, I mean, it's actually amazing looking back at the like refrigerator concepts people were coming up with that were like had all these little whiz bang mechanisms to like make your life even easier <laughs> and very few of those have come to fruition the cool thing is it's going to be able to tell you like what's in your fridge and how to make a recipe using language models and computer vision well we should we should pause for a moment and be glad the fridge makers have kind of toned it down <laughs> yeah, that's true. because there was a period of time where the fridge makers wanted to be making televisions for us right they wanted that that front of the unit to basically be a display maybe just they'll they'll settle for integration with um on the on the recipe side that's true and i'm glad i don't have to subscribe to my refrigerator i think it's <laughs> it is ridiculous <laughs> I mean, the number of things like, so I bought the Aid Sleep. I love the Aid Sleep. It's a liquid cooling mattress. You can get it as a cover or you can get it with the mattress and it zips directly on. And I got a, before they launched a subscription, there's all sorts of things that will tell me I'm like heart rate, heart rate variability, all this stuff. Like I already have those things. I literally just want this thing to heat and cool me. But they launched all these features and now it's like, hey, we're going to start charging you like a monthly fee to like, heat and cool your bed. And it's like, that's what I bought the whole thing for. <laughs> like, I don't need any of the data. My watch is going to tell me how I slept. <laughs> Anyways, it's, uh, but it does feel like just more like every little thing. There's cars now that have subscriptions and maybe that's a good like transition to your like automotive thing. At a certain point, you know, you got to say basta. I agree on the subscription thing. I, I actually bought a uh, Comfort 360 bed from Sleep Number. And it's expensive enough up front that they give you the subscription stuff for free. <laughs> but but you're basically building it into the upfront cost of this thing. It's, a, it's an awesome bed. But is that like an enterprise contract where you're like, okay, so we'll give you the first two years for free, but there's no way that you're actually ripping this out in 10 years. So the, the, the back eight, eight years, you'll be on it. The thing costs a pretty penny, but you know, it does a bunch of stuff. It like is that has like an automated, you know, sort of elevation for your feet or, and your, your head and, you know, and it detects when you go to sleep and it kind of decompresses the bed based upon 
how you're sleeping, if you're sleeping on your side or, or back. There's a lot of great features on it, so I love it, but... There's only so many things I want my bed to know about me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, if there's a theme here, it just seems like the, the fight for our consumer health information is is only ever expanding in terms oh, yeah. of, yeah. of who, wants, who wants a piece of your heart rate data, respiration data, sleep data, et cetera. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, like for an expensive... I mean, the, the aid sleep isn't the cheapest kind of bed you can buy. So I get that you would want, you would expect more from that. And it is, I'm not discouraging them from like the health stuff, but if, if a user doesn't want it, like, I, I think it's, it's discouraging people from actually um, jumping in on the device. So you weren't actually mattress shopping at CES, were you, Raj? No, I didn't, I didn't actually see any mattresses there. I, I kind of avoided them because I'd already made the value judgment. Bed that can make itself. That's. That would be, that's the next thing in beds. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Raju, what about the, what about the XR space? I mean, it, there's a lot of headset activity coming where, where we're recording this as Vision Pro is, is launching. Uh, you know, we all know that Meta's pumping money into Quest and there's a lot of headset activity. What do you, what did you see there that inspired you in that? In the it was, it was a massive thing. theme. It was a massive theme, Will. And I'm glad you asked. I mean, I mean, Apple wasn't there. They rarely go to CES. So, you know, I'm not surprised, but they did make a bunch of announcements. You know, I know a bunch of us have ordered these headsets. We'll probably do a separate pad podcast on this. I'm sure we will, because we'll just be comparing ideas and notes and stuff like that. But there was a whole bunch of other companies that spent time in this space. You know, Sony introduced a new device targeting business users you know, 3D content, collaboration, 4K OLED, you know, they have specialization in the chips. The big thing I saw was Qualcomm announcing a new chip. You know, it's uh, it's called Snapdragon XR2 Plus Gen 2. I'm going to make my Dorito joke, Do it. <laughs> which I made in the pre-pod, which is they should partner with Doritos and they should launch each new chip. This one's the Cool Ranch. <laughs> this one's the Habanero. This one's the, I haven't eaten a Dorito in forever. I mean, they could just partner. And frankly, what is that? Who makes, like, does it chips like Kraft Foods? You could just get a Kraft Foods thing. Eventually it's Lay's. Eventually you're getting, you know, the flaming Hot Cheetos. I think it would be a hoot. I agree. I mean, listen, you know, there's, if, 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 if they don't do it, there's other chip manufacturers that will get in there. Just get yeah. right in there. <laughs> yeah. And there's a whole article about double dipping and whether it's acceptable or not now, you know? So, <laughs> um, Social norms are, are a changing. They are a changing. So, so Qualcomm's chip, man, this is pretty cool. It's aimed specifically at the XR market, 4,300 pixels per eye, support for 12 concurrent cameras, 12 millisecond late, latency, Full color pass through. I mean, that's what wait, you wait, need. Wait, it's a chip, or is it you said so, so it can power yeah. a display? That's what those yeah. are the the, the specs for the display. Yeah. Okay. I mean, just think about that, right? Like, you want this. You know, everybody's kind of been waiting for augmented reality, virtual reality, XR, spatial computing devices, whatever Apple wants to call it. Um, but I think the problem is you need sort of ubiquity of chipsets and the underlying foundation for this stuff to work. And I think Qualcomm's announcement is pretty pretty significant because it'll allow a whole generation of this stuff to come to pass. And there's still a lot to be figured out though. And I'd love your guys' opinions on it just as you know, consumers and having played with this stuff before. I mean, I, I've had, I have everything. I've got the Meta, 
you know, I'm going to get the Apple Vision product. You know, I've got the Ray-Ban glasses and I've had the HTC device, you know, for years, right? Which is more of a virtual reality. The problem with these devices is how long you can wear them. You know, you got sort of 30 minutes to a couple of hours worth of not just battery life, but just, you know, ability to keep this thing on your head where as opposed to a mobile phone, which you carry around with you everywhere. And so, you know, I, I think for this stuff to become, you know, sort of ubiquitous, yeah, A, it's got to get a little cheaper and B, it's got to be able to go with you. But I'd love your guys' opinions on this. I mean, you're... Sorry, I'm jumping in immediately, Will. You probably have great thoughts on it. You're probably the person on this call that's that has the most gadgetry and has used them for your own like personal use as well. So I'll just preface it with that because I'd be curious to hear what you thought. You know, Ben Thompson always talked about VR as being a destination, right? Like a smartphone is mobile. It's wherever you are. I mean, you can stand there or sit at your desk and do it, but you can also do it on the phone holding a car co- or like, you know, sorry, use your phone holding a coffee, walking around. And AR is obviously mobile, but they're so chunky, you know, where you can overlay an interface, but it's not something that you would naturally wear. And so, you know, I think XR encompassing kind of the the whole umbrella is an interesting space to play. I think we're just going to slowly inch our way into it, though. Right. I think there's going to be devices that you, like the, the Ray-Bans are, are this recent release were like just close enough for me to be really interested in it, particularly because of the multimodal language model integration where you can just, if you're wearing them, you can ask, what is this thing? Or what is that? I I have a set. I I gotta be honest with you. It's actually good. (laughs) It's actually good because I use them as sunglasses. (laughs) No, yeah, I'm serious. And so they go with me. You know what I mean? It's like, and they're headphones, right? And they have a camera. I mean, it's like, you know, you start twisting my arm here. Like, all right, fine. I will, I will buy them. You know, they're, they're well, also like Jason, priced. you should, because you can get them in prescription, right? And they are a nice pair of sunglasses that you wear. And all of a sudden you're like, I want to capture this. I want information about this. I want to listen to some music. And it's relatively seamless. I, I, actually, it's the first consumer AR device that I sit there and say, yeah, it's usable. It's usable. It's like actually usable and useful. Like exactly. you're like, yeah, I'm glad I wore it. Like I was going to, I was trying to get a pair. I thought last minute I should wear this to one of my friend's weddings, you know, cause I, then I don't have to like take my phone out and do all that stuff. I can get like first person, like video and photos. Camera's good enough. I've seen the pictures in the, in the video. Wasn't able to get a pair like in time. This is a very last minute thought. I should have, should have uh, planned ahead a little bit there. But no, I, and that's only going to get, this is the worst pair. Like this, that's the amazing thing about technology. Like the worst technology we have is like the technology we have today. So I think the AR side is going to get like really pretty good. And the price point there, I forget exactly what it is, but it's somewhere between 300 and 400, which obviously isn't like a, you know, oh, I'll just pick up a pair on my, you know, way to the way to work amount of money. But like that should also be going down while feature sets go up. And so I think it's more on like the social norm stuff and like, Making that video or photo like more useful? Should it be vertical? Should it be horizontal? Where does that content live? What are the social norms? I know they have like the little dot, but I think we're going to get more and more used to that. 
Let me pause once I, once I, because I know you guys have um, thoughts. On the flip side, I think VR is like, will very quickly become for pure immersive experiences where you will be in for hours at a time, and which is kind of what it is today, video games, et cetera. Um, but it will get like cannibalized by great XR that has passed through, which is what the Apple Vision Pro is all about. And we already see this happening like, Arguably, AirPods are also augmented reality, where it is augmenting your audio surrounding, and you can like ask it questions. There's intelligence in it. Um, they've been working on like medical sensors that go in there, um, and the, the people more and more, particularly with the AirPods Max that are over the ear, the transparency mode is indistinguishable from not having headphones on, and I think that the the like. Sneaky feature that we don't realize today, but is super important for the Apple Vision Pro, is the pass-through um, video. Not just because it like, oh, okay, cool, I can like navigate in the environment, but I think more and more we're gonna just be able to phase in between two fields seamlessly. Um, and so, anyways, I'm really excited about that. I think that's an essential part of the message, Jason. I mean, I think I think you 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 said so many important things there in in your overview. But yeah, that that kind of pass through that idea that the the screen that's that 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 you have access to at any time is just part of your constant reality, and that there's that that what people see because a huge amount of of people's reaction to wearing a headset is how they see themselves being seen, right? And and this this takes us right back to the fact that the iPhone was an, an, uh, a desirable accessory even before people knew what to do with it because it made them look cool. So now we're finally starting to make heads, headgear that, that really looks cool and, and that people are going to be more comfortable wearing, wearing publicly. I think we're, we're at your comment about we're inching towards it on the consumer side is, is absolutely true. Uh, certainly we see... Uh, a lot of new experiences being unlocked in VR. We have a portfolio company, Wave XR, where the the the, the experience of live virtual concerts with major artists gets better and better and better. And on platforms like uh, MetaQuest 3 or on Vision Pro, you will be able to go to great concerts and be in the front row with all of your friends. And they'll be standing next to you and you'll be interacting. Like those experiences are just starting to be unlocked in 2024. But I think we're also, we also have to pause for a moment and think about the applications uh, of, of these tools in, in sort of industrial settings, uh, uh, public safety settings. You know, you put a pair of smart glasses on somebody who needs to monitor what's going on in a plant, who needs to monitor a, a, a crowded, uh, monitor a crowd, and, and suddenly you have the potential to arm them with a lot more input data uh, to, to, make, to make decisions. And it's, it's, putting, it's putting power in the hands of people. We're going to do a whole podcast on this momentarily, which I think we should dive into the applications at that point. Because I, I think this is a big enough topic, we should spend cycles on it. You know, consumer business apps, you know, after we play around with the Apple Vision Pro, let's get into the apps. But uh, let me talk about a few other themes, if that's okay, so that we kind of get through stuff. So electric and auto autonomous vehicles, obviously, you know, the world is still moving forward on that. On the consumer side of things, you know, listen, I saw amazing concept cars. Hyundai, Honda and Daimler, like Honda had... <laughs> This space hub, you know, thing, you should just check it out on YouTube. I mean, it, it was 
mind-blowingly cool. It's just, you know, let's see when we get there on, on this stuff. The coolest thing I saw, though, was really industrial and business application for autonomous vehicles. Mobin, which was a spinoff from Hyundai, had a robot that can navigate stairs. I think that's going to be really important in the grand scheme of things. Like, you know, Is it a bipedal robot? Or a rolling robot? No, it's, it's a rolling robot, but it can figure out how to go upstairs and downstairs. I think that's going to have a big functional change in how things work. John Deere had autonomous crop harvesting. Uh, Hyundai had what I think was the coolest thing I saw at CER by far, which was an autonomous excavator. CER? You went to a whole different conference? CES? You said CER. Oh, I said CER. (laughs) So sorry. No, CES. It was a different, uh, I felt like it must might have been different, but like this thing was crazy. It was, I mean, I don't know how long it's going to get, take to get out there, but just an excavator on private property, fully (laughs) autonomous. Caterpillar had electric everything with on-site power generators because power is going to be a big stuff with electric. So you need to be able to generate power on site with renewable fuels and energy storage solutions. I think this is going to be a big theme. You know, folks are really considering how we can do this in a more sustainable way. Big push made. I loved it. You know, I know, Jason, we we had a podcast just recently with the folks at ClearPath, you know, and they're doing autonomous vehicles for warehouses, forklifts, you know, sort of pallet movers and things like that. This is just sort of the next level of that. And I, and I thought that was pretty powerful. Yeah. No, I think it's, I mean, it's a huge industry. I was just looking up uh, $1.84 trillion in 2021, the mining market size globally, not small. R- Raju, did you get the, san- the sense that that market is moving to something like the drone, like the way the drone market operates in the sense that we're, we're moving away from the, the sort of dedicated human operator to either a mostly autonomous vehicle or a human-assisted semi-autonomous vehicle with a, with a kind of master operator? situation. 100%. I'll, I'll also take that. I mean, ClearPath, yeah. the, the ClearPath, the yellow robot side, yeah. they've been they've been working with mining companies for years on autonomous. I mean, a lot of these like autonomous things start with like data gathering before you're actually manipulating the actual excavators or tools themselves. But there's still just a lot of grunt work that needs to be done in these mines. So it absolutely is. They've been thinking about it for quite some time. It could be transformative. I think one of the interesting you know, aspects on the EV part, right? Because this is also in the EV section. Was it Was it an electric vehicle as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Electric battery um, the, the, density. The problem with some of these things is they're just too heavy to be fully electric. That's what I'm saying. But they are driving toward, you know, sort of fuel cells and, you know, sort of different kinds of energy profiles. Yeah. And same thing with flight. You know, we got new EV tall companies and electric planes and we're starting to move into heavy machinery. It's a it's a new challenge, but one that, you know, is arguably a greater contributor to, um, you know, climate change and the, and the solutions that we you know desperately need in short order as well. So, yeah. Um, you know, and, and I'm going to say this because I just have to do my dad joke, but like the harvesting industry is ripe for innovation <laughs> here in, in autonomous Damn. vehicles. Just absolutely ripe for it. <laughs> There's a bumper crop. <laughs> yeah. Crop harvesting. 
<laughs> there you uh, go. Yeah, it's no, super skip- exciting. I mean, that's that's where like a ton of ton of money gets spent. And I, you know, I, I guess the, like my final question before we move to the next topic is, how are they solving the battery density issue? Right? Is it are they swapping these massive batteries in and out? Is there a giant wall plug? I don't think they're going completely electric. Renewable flu- fuel cells you know, a bunch of energy storage solutions so that you can sort of pump juice into this thing on site, huge capacitors. I, I think they're going to go with fuel cells as, as a, a predominant value proposition, as opposed to sort of batteries, more efficient hydrogen stuff. Because the reality is, how do you get electricity out to a remote farm with enough, you know, sort of capacity? If you think about farming in general, like just like rural environments, Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah. Your hometown. <laughs> My hometown. Yeah. You, you got to be able to do something different. And the reality is, you know, we need produce. We need, you know, food. We need all of this stuff. There's a lot of tech that's going to innovate on it to, you know, monitor soil, figure out when to harvest, do this stuff, you know, autonomously so that, you know, we're not producing a whole lot of farmers in this country. You know, we just know what's happening. We just got to become more efficient at it. You know, the reality is there's good tech there. And as a as a planet, I think the other, you know, this will naturally transition to another topic, but it feels like more more so than ever, each one of these like technologies is also being propelled by a pretty massive like driving force. Whether that be the transformers and the demand for chips and faster chips, and there's so much demand that it's just spilling over into new chip architectures. Where, whereas before you would wait for the die, you know, you had the TikTok and the classic Moore's law, and we're just like starting to it's just spillover. And same thing with like batteries. We've had batteries for of quite some time. Potato battery. I mean, they've been around since Ireland invented them, <laughs> <laughs> and so. You know, but now we we desperately need batteries, not just for our cars and even for our mining equipment, but for the grid system itself. Like we need industrial scale batteries um, and we need solutions to global warming. I don't know that we need XR, but we really want it. Well, so yeah, I, I agree with that. But like, you know, just just that segment right there, Jason, is really profound. Like if you think about autonomous farming as a, a category. Think about what you need. You need satellite communication, right? And Will, you know, you talked about this in the space podcast, right? We've got this network out there that, you know, allows internet to go pretty much anywhere on the planet. You need battery and or next generation fuel cell technology. You need, you know, sort of autonomous driving tools. You need weather, better weather prediction, you know, capabilities to figure out when to, you know, harvest, you need AI. There's a lot of computing because these devices need to do a lot of their computing locally, right? So all of the stuff we're talking about, you know, the chipsets, the satellite networks, the electric vehicles, you know, the autonomous driving capabilities, all of this, these foundational technologies need to be put in place to allow this to work. What's interesting, it just occurred to me while you were saying that, there's like always this like kind of happy byproduct industry that just benefits from another industry pioneering. And 
Will might not have explicitly mentioned it on the space thing, but a lot of the chips and architectures and sensors that were going up were driven by the rise of smartphones and how insatiable the appetite was as we were like blanketing the planet with iPhones. And that just drove so much miniaturization, specialization, like like so much technical progress. And it almost seems like it's kind of inverted. Like we've we've reached a point, you don't have to charge your phone like midday. The camera is like bumping up against the physics. There, it's, it's not like a dramatic shift each year, but there are other industries now like pushing even further. And, um, you know, like for, you know, you, you can you can kind of like back into it a little bit uh, but it's it's kind of awesome how the entire industry just benefits. Like as long as one of us is winning, we can kind of like attach ourselves to that because we're all built on what you just said is kind of this shared infrastructure. We need internet, we need sensors, we need processing power, we need batteries. You're completely right, Jason. I mean, progress in one industry uh, in a component that's relevant across so many other industries ben- benefits everybody. I, 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 I think the the picture you, you painted coming out of CES is incredibly hopeful, Raju. And, and part of what I'm so excited about is to hear the number of large-scale companies that are embracing innovation and bringing it to market under their own brand names around stuff that we've seen in in the startup community and in innovative companies, uh, smaller companies, for over the last 10 to 15 years. I mean, when you have John Deere bringing autonomous farming technology to market, that's that's a successor moment to a whole lot of startups in the ag tech sector over the last 10 to 15 years. It's kind of why I love going. I mean, I know this stuff is always a few years out, right? And sometimes even longer and sometimes it doesn't materialize. But, you know, you get to see in our industry, we're, we're playing around with the Genesis technology, the early, early stuff. And, and then you see it kind of roll out to sort of through industrial, you know, levels or, you know, wide scale consumer levels. And it, it's kind of fun. I do want to touch on these productivity gadgets. Because we're all geeks, man. Like, I, I'm, I'm like a super geek. I love your moniker for it. Productivity gadgets. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, it, it's, for me, that's what they are. I, okay. I, mean, I just talk about a couple of them. Like, so the rabbit, first one, I'll go yeah. very quickly. It yeah. was just one of my things. It, there was an espresso machine. Okay. That allowed, it looked like a little tiny robot and its base was the water. And you could take two Nespresso capsules and put it in there and it would perfectly combine them. Oh, so if cute. you wanted like a half cast, <laughs> you could uh-huh. get a half cast. Nice. But if you Did wanted you have like to kind of like whisper to it like you are? Yeah. Like, hey, little robot. <laughs> it, was like, it was so cute. Would you cute. mind mixing these for me? It was so cute. And so I love that. Um, okay. The, the, but let's just put that one aside. The yeah. two I want to talk about, Yeah. because both of you guys will love this one. Um, the first one was this Clicks keyboard. So oh, yeah. I don't know if you had a BlackBerry, Jason. I had yeah. a BlackBerry. I did. I did. Oh, yeah. I had the BlackBerry I heard, Pearl. I heard about this. Did that you get your hands on Blackberry. one? I, I got my hands on one. I ordered one. Uh, it's called Clicks. It's a UK company. And it's basically, you know, it, it, it's a case for your iPhone. And um, it plugs into the USB-C port. And then it gives you this full, full-on keyboard. It's sexy looking. It provides a case. I don't know how many, you know, sort of Gen Xers are going to grok this because they're just like, what the hell are you talking about? Like I've, the keyboard that I use, the virtual one is absolutely fine and they can type, you know, a thousand words a second on it. 
I loved my BlackBerry. And and Will, I'm going to point to you specifically here because you invented, invested in a company called Peak Mobile way back in the day. Um, when iPhones were coming out, it was, you know, look, the success, it wasn't a success story, but nonetheless, the, the thematically it was correct, right? Like people, you know, of a certain generation, certain demographic, just love that keyboard that, you know, like hard press it's, and man, I, I ordered one. I got, I'm going to try it out. I don't know if I'll keep it and use it forever, but like, it, it is like, it was just sort of this retro moment in my life. And I was just like, if I could get that BlackBerry feel back, I would just love it. <laughs> Raju, that's pretty, that's a pretty nice admission on your part. I don't know if you remember the the phones with the really big buttons when we were kids. Oh, yeah. You could buy, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I think some of us need need a version of that to to take us back through the wayback machine to our our the tactile value of uh, of the old BlackBerry keyboard. It sounds very cool. Yeah, I'm gonna try it. I'm, I'm see how it is because it does extend the phone size. Yeah, and you know what, Jason? I know I know you had trouble with your wrist a little bit. I don't know if this is something uh, that might help you. Um, it's. I mean, I have tendonitis, uh, which is something. Uh, slightly different um the, the i don't need to go into like the medical detail it's just more like pre, like actually pressing in on stuff isn't isn't particularly great being able to just tap very lightly on a screen is fantastic but it's funny that um it just feels like jinko jeans or like you know jinko jeans or disco <laughs> disco jeans that are just kind of coming back bell bottoms right are the 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 jean styles like come back in we're back to keyboards back in style. So anyway, that was cool. And then this thing that's taken the internet by storm. I know you ordered one, Jason. I ordered one. Mine's on back order because you probably got to it before I did. This rabbit, which is this square AI voice assistant that couples to your phone. And I don't know how to best describe this. It's, it, it makes your phone more useful. It provides a layer of functionality that you're, you, you don't have to actually command applications. You kind of work with it. It launches applications. It can do things like you language know, action model yeah, is the like, wham. Understand they, your intent yeah. and then, you know, pop open, you know, apps that mimic those actions. It's, it's very Tamagotchi like. And, you know, one of the things they just, they, they showed was, you know, it can look into a fridge, identify ingredients, suggest a recipe, it is slick looking. Got a control wheel, camera, microphone, speakers, AI, and and you ordered one without going to CES, Jason. So you know, why don't, why don't you tell tell me why? You- well, I texted you about you should go to this launch. Like, it looks pretty cool. This is before I knew they were partnering with Teenage Engineering. Uh, I just think their objects look look beautiful. Like, it's even if it just becomes a paperweight, it's pretty um, pretty elegant. And I'm a total tech nerd, so like that's what I do want to have like on display in my office or whatever. But um, no, I'm really excited. I think like, you know, in comparison to the Humane pin, which I pl- has been dunked on a zillion times and I'm not trying to dunk, like I, I encourage people to experiment with hardware, particularly at this moment where we don't know exactly, we have a brand new user interface, which is language and voice and, um, you know, still images, eventually video. But we don't know what the like kind of optimal form factor is for that and interaction model, which is slightly different than the UI. And people are just trying stuff out. And so, you know, this is 
I was kind of shocked a little bit at the price point. That is kind of, um, you know, if you want to treat yourself and it's like 199 bucks, no subscription, pick it up, looks cool. You know, that's the price of like going to a football game or something like that, right? And it's just, it kind of hit some sweet spot. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually a little bit skeptical of the ability. The idea is that you can kind of train it, right? You can, you can log in to, into all of your services, have it basically record as you're doing an action. And what it's not doing is tracking exactly where your cursor goes and just hitting that exact same X, Y um, point on the grid. What it is doing is, you know, understanding the, type of thing that you are doing at each thing, because if the inter interface change, this thing shouldn't break. I'm a little bit skeptical that users are actually going to build their own recipes. Um, I'm hoping there's actually a really active, you know, open template and library, which I could see being really useful, but um, I'm really excited about it. I mean, it can look, it can um, listen. It has a very simple interface and they're going to be powered by perplexity, which is one of by far one of my favorite um, large language model apps uh, because they just, it's succinct answers and you're just getting answers back. You're not, there's no reading a web page or anything like that. I, I think the interaction model is, is as simple yeah. as it should be. I, I agree, Jason. And you know, like if you think about it thematically, I know we, we talked about five sort of categories, um, but like usability and user interface and that you know, kind of really came out. If you think about XR, right? Augmented reality, virtual reality, it's just a new way of interacting. I mean, it's obviously more profound than just that. But even like the clicks keyboard, right? It's just, the phone isn't perfect, right? The iPhone is just not perfect. It's a great evolution from where we were 10 years ago. And 10 years before that, there was, you know, a big evolution. 10 years before that, there was a big evolution. But we're still looking for more, right? Like Rabbit is a new way of interacting, you know, the clicks keyboard is a new way of interacting. XR, augmented reality is a new way of interacting. And my feeling is that there's just going to be, yeah, I'm going to, I'm writing a blog post on this and, and you guys will see it, but like the rate of innovation is accelerating um, in our, in our life <laughs> from back in the day when, you know, age of mankind lasted several hundred years, like um, and now it's shrinking to like a dozen years or five years. Um, this whole human compute device interaction play is, is, is moving really quickly, really quickly. Yeah, definitely agree on that. We also go in fits and starts. We're definitely in a start. Um, or actually, I don't know which one they both seem we're in a fit and a start. I don't know. It goes in fits and starts. I will kind of circle back because our partner, Jim, four, uh, had mentioned, like, I don't think the phone's going to be here anymore in 10 years. You know, the Mac has been around for 40 or 50 years, I think. You know, John Gruber had this amazing piece that he wrote about, like, I think a couple weeks after the iPad. And I think we're going to enter a new phase if we do have extra gadgets, which is debatable, right? The Rabbit R1 doesn't have anything that a, that a smartphone does. It's just like a single integrated device. And, you know, we already see Samsung integrating AI deeply. They're not even the owners. Google, Pixel, they have their TPU. They're going to be running language models on device. Apple is slated to launch their own stuff this year. I think like 
you have to carve out a very specific use case that is perpetual so that you're actually carrying a device on your person all the time. And that's like a really, really high bar to meet. We'll see if the Rabbit R1 is able to do that. Um, but you could just compete with an like an app on on a phone. But I, this is this is kind of this is kind of interesting. I'll just read the quote from one of his pieces. The central conceit of the iPad is that it's a portable computer that does less, and because it does less, what it does do, it does better, more simply, and more elegantly. Apple can only begin phasing out the Mac if and when iOS expands to allow us to do everything we can do on the Mac. It's the heaviness of the Mac that allows iOS to remain light. When I say that iOS has no baggage, that's not because there is no baggage. It's because the Mac is there to carry it. Long term, say 10 years out, well, all good things must come to an end. But in the short term, Mac OS X has an essential role in an iOS world, serving as the platform for complex resource-intensive tasks. Now that we're in the era of maybe new devices, I, I feel like that same kind of analogy applies to the iPhone. It's like, until we have something, you know, the humane pin doesn't cut it because it just doesn't do everything that a phone does. And until we have something that can replace this computer that's to date the most perfect personal computer in the truest sense of personal computer that we've ever created. And that's why they're so popular and so widespread. Um, but we could be at the dawn. We could, you know, is it an auxiliary device or is it a brand new one that, that, that kind of takes over? It's a great question. It's a great question. I, I just, I mean, I love being in this time horizon. It's so fun. I mean, holy shit. Like, I cannot tell you how excited I get when I see stuff like this because it's not gadgetry. I'm not going to put it aside for five minutes. I, I really immerse myself in it. And, you know, like 20 years ago, immersing your stuff in it was learning how to code in a programming language that was so esoteric and difficult and writing scripts manually with no collaboration because you were by yourself and there was no such thing as an internet, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And now, you know, the, that, that you're collaborating, the toolkits are getting easier. It's faster to start things. I mean, it's just, it's pretty profound. And, and just even beyond the gadgetry, I just feel like we've kind of been reactivated. I know that people are always working on research, but there's, there's a time and a place when research becomes reality. And a lot of those like breakthroughs that happen in a lab are kind of pulled into the market. They're rarely put into the market. And, you know, everything, I've got a list of these awesome topics, like revisiting, you know, optical computing, super efficient, super energy efficient, has a lot of uh, amazing characteristics, you know, all of the language model stuff that's helping us basically leap over the traditional way of doing things so that they have, you know, for protein folding, which is important for biotech and pharmaceuticals, drug development, all these, um, you know, designing new, uh, organisms and stuff like that. Really important to be able to fold these proteins. We used to simulate the protein in 3d space, right? That was like the way to do it. Now, with enough pattern recognition through the power of transformers, the LM never even needs to see the 3D structure. <laughs> We're breaking through. I mean, you know, the other day, the MIT research, I think, was it MIT or it was um, one of the research? It was um, DeepMind at Google. 100 million novel materials created. I mean, we're, we're reaching this kind of 
scale of potentiality where we're not only able to validate what somebody who spent a ton of time towards in a lab to come up with like five ideas. Now we have a hundred million ideas, but it also allows us to take those hundred million ideas and rapidly scale down to the few that are going to be most useful. Yeah. And it's, we should have a topic on materials because, you know, listen, I, I, I spent seven years of my life (laughs) in college on materials and I was working on novel new materials. And at the time, you know, there was something like when you allow material to get created, it takes on a crystalline structure. Um, if you rapidly heat it and rapidly cool it, you can create amorphous materials, which don't have crystalline structures. And, you know, if you take physics out of the equation, <laughs> like normal physics out of the equation. Yeah, is that what they taught you at MIT? Don't yeah. worry about the physics here. Yeah. Roger. <laughs> when, like just traditional physics, right? Sure. Like okay. just you know, properties of materials. Like you can change properties of materials if you create them in space where there's no gravity. You can change properties of materials if you can rapidly cool and rapidly heat materials and freeze them effectively. When DeepMind gets into that stuff and says, what if we did this same material creation in space? What would be the impact of it? What if we did this same material creation with like a frozen stream of, you know, ice hitting it so that it cools so rapidly that it doesn't, you know, that it, that it defies normal crystallinity, you know, effects. We're going to be able to do shit that's just mind-blowing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an exciting time to be alive. <laughs> We're probably way over time here. We are We're way over to... time. So, uh, you know, the thing is, should we divide this podcast into two? Because I think yeah, it may be... Yeah, let's do a CES two-parter. They'll probably leave this audio in, too, um, because <laughs> we're kind of wrapping up. But yeah, let's do a CES part one, part two. We could probably launch them one week. Um, one one week and one the next. Yeah. Um, and we'll get it out. But uh, to those who are still listening, made it through the whole pod... <laughs> We covered a lot of ground, meandered in some really interesting areas, but I think like the takeaway from my end is like never been more excited generally about all of the advancements that are being properly pulled into the market and kind of rekindled my love for gadgetry and tech and apps and stuff. Like there's just so much new stuff coming out right now. That's, it's just fun. Couldn't say it any better, Jason. That was perfect. Well, thanks for walking us through your uh, trip to CES. Thank you for listening to RREPOV. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at RRE on Twitter, or shall I say X, or RRE.com. And on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. We'll see you next time.